Hello, we are Shelf Check, a podcast for the question of our times. What should I read next? Shelf Check is presented by Arlington Public Library in Arlington, Texas. I'm your host today, Miranda Want, with my co-host, Mark Dellenbaugh. Let's, Let's talk, talk books. books. Okay, well, welcome in today. We're going to be discussing the topic of historical fiction, which is a genre that secretly I think is actually one of my favorites. I'm not really someone who specifically goes and looks for historical fiction. Like, I'm not looking for the historical fiction bookshelf in the bookstore most of the time. But I am someone who gets enamored of reading things in different time periods. You know, you go, oh, that's set in the 20s, something like that. Right. Oh, that sounds like something maybe I want to read it, um, especially in a genre, mysteries or something. You, you know, Miranda, I'm, I'm actually very similar. Um, I'm not sure that I've ever read historical fiction on purpose. But I've read a ton of historical fiction um, in in a couple of different ways. Um, right. Either I'm, I'm reading uh, my love of time travel fiction as well documented. And unless they're going into the future, they're going into the past. Right. And yeah. so those aspects of it are going to have historical fiction elements. And we can talk about some of this in greater detail later. But I also like there's a thriller writer named Steve Barry who does a set of thrillers that are set across centuries. So things that got started in the 1400s will have implications for the 20th century and or uh, Alexander the Great's era. And they're solving mysteries that are historical mysteries, but um, it's both the current protagonists and vignettes from the historical time period. So I, I don't get historical fiction at book length form, but I love chapters and different parts like that. Right. And you know what my favorite thing about books like that I'm being a little bit facetious here, uh -huh. but is that the times that they go back to never seem to be unimportant ones. <laughs> right. The, the conspiracies and the artifacts that date back centuries are usually were owned by somebody who you've heard of already, which yeah, I love exactly. the convenience of that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I understand it. Yeah. It, it's it, a literary it, device and I appreciate it. <laughs> it, it. It's a little bit like when my son asked me of all of the planets in the universe, um, Doctor Who has to keep coming back to Earth a lot. Mm -hmm. And on Earth, he has to keep coming back to England a lot. He sure does. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. Hi, right? Amazing how that works. I was I was thinking about this just yesterday because I was watching a clip from one of my favorite incarnations is um, David Tennant is the 10th uh -huh. Doctor yeah. with Donna Noble. Is okay, my favorite sure. of, of, that, that is both my second favorite Doctor and my second favorite companion. Okay. So it's a good, it's yeah. a good mix. <laughs> and um, that, That's a silver medal squad. Yeah. I love them though. I mean, it's yeah. it's no it's it's no patch on any on that. I, they're they're great, and they're my favorite of the re, of the reboot. But um, but I was thinking about how odd it was that not only did the Doctor Who contrival time and space mostly come back to Earth, but most of his companions are strangely enough contemporaries of each other. Hmm. So that's a pretty narrow slice of time right. that he's really plucking from, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. we're we're just lucky. Yeah, yeah. We're just look at that way. But, or, okay. or maybe the, the Doctor Who series that shows on uh, planet circling Betelgeuse has Doctor Who visiting their planets more. Oh, yeah. So maybe it's a selection bias uh, from the producers. Probably. <laughs> I, li I, li I don't know. It's just kind of funny. I definitely feel like that's a thing with the reboot more yeah. than anything else. But again, there's a reason why we care about right. Us. Yeah. <laughs> we care about us. Um, okay, so I did go ahead and look into some stuff that really interested me because one of the things I think about when I think about a stereotype of historical fiction, I'm usually thinking World War II. 
And that's just mm-hmm. sort of a bias of like what a lot of a lot of the bestsellers you might see that are set in historical fiction or some of like the basic interests of someone who is dabbling in historical fiction. One of the first places you'll find a lot of a lot of examples, a lot of, you know, be spoiled for choices. World War Two, which is a obviously a rich period of time to look at. Sure. But centuries of spanning of history that have obviously happened before that. Right. So I went in search of some unusual or sort of more, uh, less covered dustier corners of history that I wanted to offer some, some, some books about, which I think is sometimes even more interesting because it's offering a look into life, even if it's simply imagined by an author of a life that we don't as easily imagine. Mm -hmm. So my first, my first rec for this is actually Gutenberg's apprentice by Alex Christie. It's obviously playing off of uh, Gutenberg, the, you know, for the inventor of the printing press. And this is actually set in Germany in the 1450s. And it is a, it is a novel, but it is presupposing the idea of a main character who is the sort of, like, I guess, the foster son of Johann Gutenberg, who ends up becoming an apprentice with him in the early days of the printing press and some of the surprisingly some intrigue about printing copies of the Holy Bible, hmm. which and, and looking at some of the ramifications there might be of distributing that information, which was once held in monopoly by right, the church. Right. So I thought that one sounded really interesting. It was an interesting, it's a, you know, it's a different nation than the than, than USA. Mm-hmm. It's a time period that we don't think as much about that doesn't cover as much in media. And it's yeah, really the, looking. The, the 1400s mm-hmm. get short shrift because yeah. they're not super obviously medieval, dark ages kind of stuff. And they're not really Renaissance. They're mm-hmm. right as things are changing. And they're and, right and that, when it's possible to actually have mass literature. Yeah, right. right. And it's at those um, sort of pivotal moments in history that are actually some of the most interesting times, but historians and then particularly school kids don't get them as much because that's where they chop the course up. Yeah. So um, I, I took a lot of history courses and like most of us did in America, and then some of them go up to the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And some of them would start with what happened after the Civil War, mm-hmm. but very little about the Civil War itself. Yeah, um, that's point. And with um, you know European history, you'll get stuff up to uh, Columbus and after Columbus, but very little in the 1450s to 1490s. But that's when the world had the greatest sense of possibility. And we because don't know a lot about. We didn't about... know what was going to be yet. It didn't have a name. Right. And we don't, it's like, for instance, we don't know a lot about Columbus's rivals. For yeah, instance. exactly. Like, we know about Columbus. Right. And like, it's a finished story the first time we hear it. Right. Which right. Which is really we interesting. Get the, the winner's view. In many ways, our world history, American history and world history, it's really kind of like uh, parts we don't get are between the wars. Right. <laughs> so, um, our second, my second one here actually is going, going even further back, talking about the 1400s getting short shrift. We're looking at the 1300s. Okay. So, this is called Company of Liars by Karen Maitland. And this is actually a uh, retelling in many ways of Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, but in a more hmm. kind of like thriller format in some yeah. ways. So it is, it says the year is 19, uh, sorry, 19, the year is 1348. Okay. And it is in the middle of the Black Plague. Oh, what, what, 600 years between friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got the last two. Yeah. Right. It's fine. Um so it is about a group of strangers brought together by chance during the plague. Mm-hmm. And and like I said, if you've read with Canterbury Tales and sort of the K through 12, it is sort of like a loose framework of people who are on a pilgrimage who are sharing their personal stories. Okay. It is kind of a seminal work and unfinished in its original 
format. Right. So I'm actually really interested in this because not only is it sort of falling onto that, it sounds like an interesting time period, but in some ways you get to see how, I guess, Canterbury Tales ends. Okay, sure. <laughs> so that one is another one that sounded really interesting. And also... The Coffee Trader by David Liss. This is uh, set in the 1600s, Amsterdam. And this one is uh, following a, a businessman during that time period who is who enters into a partnership to introduce coffee to the city. So the mm. introduction of coffee in the 1600s into, into Europe. Oh, the, the importance of the introduction of coffee to Europe cannot be overstated. And coffee shops specifically yeah. as well. Co coffee yeah. shops as a third place in yes. which people could gather and talk about their ideas about how should nations be governed and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, if you tiptoe into that history, you'll see there was attempts at government regulation of these businesses right. because they feared that the, the, the potential of the third place and the ability of people to share news and discuss and, 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 and frankly, a, a third place in which people's faculties are not getting diminished, mm. but are getting sharpened. Right. Um, so uh, the third cup of espresso, who knows mm. what kind of ideas you can have. Right. Uh, far more dangerous ideas than your third cup. That of, is uh, true. When you think about it, there aren't a, the, the coffee is one of the is like that first sort of global intoxicant. And I, when I say intoxic, I mean the mood altering substance. Uh, yeah, but I would say it's an, it's an upper. Oh, right. Oh, good, good. That's <laughs> right. what I mean to say. Yeah, because there are lots of ways to dull Right. Yourself. Like comparatively to alcohol, yeah. the effect of coffee is yeah. different on the mind. As you said, it can sharpen. Right. So those are a couple of of just uh, a tiptoe into some into some uh, uh, slightly unusual areas of of uh, historical fiction. Okay, so um, one of the things when I, I think of uh, historical fiction, um, there's two components to that: is fiction and the history. As hard as I think it would be for me to write a novel, having to put it in a different time period especially with my standards for how accurate things would need to be. Mm -hmm. I, I think I would find that almost totally debilitating mm -hmm. because um, I, I wouldn't know what kind of um, how to describe their clothing, how to describe uh, occupations accurately and, and the technology and so forth without doing a ton of research. I and, agree. Yeah. And so one of the, the challenges for writing historical fiction and a challenge that people who have had historical training have in reading historical fiction is learning to just let it go and enjoy, mm -hmm. you know what, maybe they got a parson mixed up with a vicar, but you know what, let it go. Um, right. Get swept along by the story. Uh, but there are, um, uh, we've got a, a number of great resources at the library. If you uh, think you might want to write historical fiction, um, or if you're just enamored with a certain time period and want to know more, um, we've got a series uh, called A Writer's Guide To um, by uh, Writer's Digest, it's the, the press, um, and it's every the writer's guide to everyday life in colonial America, uh, Renaissance England, uh, Wild West, okay. Middle Ages, Regency in Victorian England. Okay, yeah. Um, That's in, where you get your parson, your vicars. Yeah, yeah, across, exactly. Across, right? <laughs> it's one of, one of the examples. Um, and certainly you can enjoy a story without knowing the differences, but you probably can't write one that would get past an editor if you have howling historical errors. Uh, the, the one caution... Unless you mean to. <laughs> yeah, unless you mean to. Right, right, right. Uh, the Pee Wee Herman defense. Um, uh, I meant to fall off the bike there. Yeah. I just wanted to clarify what defense I was It was just a about. test for all of you. You passed. Yes, yeah, that's right. 
even if you if you do plan on writing historical fiction set in a time period, the more you know about the time period, the better off you're going to be, and um, it, it'll build your confidence. I, I do recommend something that I heard years ago, which is writing and editing are such very different mindsets mm -hmm. that you should never try to do both at the same time. Awesome. So write your story without caring about whether they had that kind of um, cotton press available at that time in that place. Mm -hmm. Get the story, get the flow, get the characters, make it come alive. And then you can come through in a second pass and clean up any kind of historical things. And if you're, and if you're going to do that, this set of books, uh, again, Writer's Guide 2, um, these books will be in our show notes, um, are a really great way to get your, your P's and Q's and your ducks in a row and whatever metaphor you want to use. Um, but there also can be a great enjoyment to someone who never plans on writing, but wants to just know mm. what you would need to know to write this. Um, I think your enjoyment will really come alive. Um, we have a, a similar set of books called Daily Life in, uh, Daily Life in Ancient Mesopotamia, Daily Life in Victorian England. And this is kind of like for the super fan of you're reading your 15th book in Napoleonic France. You know, the first time through, you, you know you're missing out on some stuff. You're swept along by the story. But then, you know, the difference between uh, different revolutionaries and the, the different parties. Uh, the, how's a Jacobian different from, you know, Robespierre's group? And mm -hmm. uh, how do they uh, all relate to, you know, uh, very Which same... iteration are they on with the war with England? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so um, if, if you read a lot of historical fiction, you're going to soak up a lot of history. But sometimes getting it straight from the source mm -hmm. um, can really add to the enjoyment. Um, this is kind of a, maybe a strange analogy, but during the pandemic, my wife and I have been watching way more television than we ever did before. Uh, just, you gotta, I think you're the only ones who are doing that. So, yeah, exactly. It's kind of this quirk of ours. Um, sometimes you just need a uh, diversion and, um, yeah. we've discovered British panel shows. Oh my God. I love and, those. Yeah. And <laughs> so, uh, Taskmaster was our gateway drug. But go. from that's all over YouTube. <laughs> yeah, from from Taskmaster, we uh, started following the different people that we've seen them, and uh, eight out of ten cats and QI. I and, recommend QI above um, else. Only Connect and um, uh, Would I Lie to You? Anyway, oh, the, the, there's this vast array, and the the characters, the 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 panelists, um, roam about from show to show and pop up in different places. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's like we, they have the found, same 20 people on, on yeah, speed dial. <laughs> yeah, um, and um, I, I also learned a, a bucket list item I didn't know I had is to, at some point in my life, to appear on a British panel show as a as a um, panelist with the witty repartee and so forth. See, I would be happy enough just to be in the audience, honestly. Yeah, yeah. This is this is one of my ambitions. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure it will never happen unless it is created in some kind of uh, artificial intelligence lab. <laughs> um, implant. If someone wants to implant memories in my head of me having been on QI, I would oh, love that. Oh, that'd be good. But the, it's a uh, VR game. You're yeah, on QI. <laughs> right. Uh, but sort of the, the, the tie-in here is we've noticed that um, if someone says something that totally confuses us. We'll pause and we'll look it up. Uh, they talked about the gaffer for um, for Arsenal. What in the world is a gaffer? Well, it's a coach. Mm -hmm. We didn't know that. 
But then the next time on one of those shows, someone mentions a gaffer, we kind of look at each other knowingly, oh, we're smarter than we used to be. They could also be referring to an older relative. An older relative. So if you're like, oh, my old gaffer, they might be. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You can tell by by context. But the the, the point is, and the reason I'm bringing it up in this context is, um, as you read more and more historical fiction set in certain time periods, you'll find that what you learn from one will feed into your enjoyment of the second and the Mm -hmm. third and the fourth. And the way you can really accelerate that is to grab a book of pure fiction, pure history Mm -hmm. um, to to get a a really strong, straight dose of it. And then the next time you read in that time period, um, even obscure ones, um, you'll, you'll have more pegs in your brain on which to hang the things that they're talking that's true. I've definitely found um, reading. I'm a big fan of the CS Forrester Napoleonic novels. Speaking okay. of, I need to go find everyday life in the Napoleonic period because I I love those naval novels and to know some of the timeline of when they are when they are uh, at war with France or not or why they might you know. And it, for instance, reading those and then later reading Persuasion um, informed me in a very a very uh, uh, helpful way because in persuasion one of the main characters is is a um there's an admiral and there's a there's a captain who has left the navy and has made his fortune through it and so to understand through the horatio hornblower series from cs forrester Mm -hmm. how fortunes could be made and how someone who was like sort of war soldier to start could move up into society um informed for me what that character was and what his background was that okay. made me understand him better. Right. Yeah. Right. You were able to bring things to the character that the mm-hmm. author had not explicitly stated, but because would have assumed we would know probably. Right. Exactly. Because it was the time and period. And it turns out that a lot of us, we just don't know much. Well, I mean, to history. be fair, uh, the time period where she was assuming we'd know that it's very different from the time period we are in now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and so those sort of aha moments in which you get something in a book um, yeah. can be a moment of real delight. It feels like an inside joke with the author, yeah, which exactly. is lovely. Exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, so the the other kind of way I, I mentioned um, at the outset that I don't typically pick up historical fiction on purpose, but I sometimes um, uh, back into it almost by mistake. Um, I read a lot of uh, speculative fiction, science fiction, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, in fact, on an earlier podcast, uh, Melissa Jeffrey and I talked about time travel. Oh, I like that one. And yeah. unless the time traveler is going into the future, mm-hmm. um, they're going into the past. And so those little snippets, those chapters in which they uh, find themselves in a different time period, um, give a, an, an author and a reader an opportunity to sort of dabble in historical fiction. Um, one of my kids' favorite books series growing up, uh, usually in the kindergarten, first, second, third, uh, Magic Treehouse. Okay. Yeah. And, and they uh, go. Yeah, yeah. Jack and Annie go to every time mm-hmm. period you can imagine to have all kinds of adventures. And you get just a little flavor, just a little snippet and, and so forth. Um, I'm currently, I'm almost done with, um, got about um, I think one chapter left in a book called How to Stop Time by Matt Haig. Um, right. My book club, the Night Out Book Club did this oh, previously, okay. actually. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting um, one because it's not quite time travel. Well, he's traveling through time in the way we all travel right. through time. It's a slow version. <laughs> yeah, the the sort of the, the central idea of this book is that there are a handful of people that have a genetic mutation that causes them to age very very slowly. 
Right. Um, sort of the reverse of the the tragic cases where you know a, a toddler is dying of old age because their body is just aging in a super accelerated way. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is some people age very slowly. And what would it mean if someone lived 500, 600 years while everybody around them lived their normal lives? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, in, in where we where we joined this story, the author, um, Tom Hazard, um, is a history teacher and he finds that he has to be very careful to use the right verb tense when he's <laughs> describing things because otherwise he'll say things like, well, when Hitler invaded the Sudetenland, we were all very nervous. And someone looks at you, were all very nervous. Oh, that's what I read in the accounts. If you read the newspapers, and this is a way to really get into the shoes, everybody was really nervous. Right. Um, yeah. and, and so um, I like to speak in the first person when yeah. I'm teaching history. So, so this uh, this character um, knew Shakespeare and uh, went on the voyages with uh, Captain Cook. And uh, so as they're See, describing those things, never know anyone who's not famous. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Or they just don't make the cut. Uh, right. That's yeah. the, the generous way. But yeah, yeah, there's a, there's uh, famous people are dramatically overrepresented in time travel. Um, <laughs> and it, I mean, it, it makes kind of sense. We understand why. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, keep your eye out for uh, historical fiction when you are least expecting it, because you'll find that uh, it happens uh, more and more. And one thing I've, I've noticed actually with this is because I, w- I was I was discussing a, uh, the book series P.G. Woodhouse, is an okay. American humorist, yeah, uh, wrote almost a hundred, not literally ninety six different comic okay, novels. He was the Jeeves and Wooster, yes, guy? Uh, okay. author of Jeeves and Wooster yeah. series, which um, has also had a couple different iterations on the small screen as well, and. Um, and his books are not. Oh, there's, there's the tie-in back to the callback mm-hmm. to QI. Stephen Fry. That's a Stephen Fry, um, famously played Jeeves, uh-huh. um, yeah. with uh, his comedy partner Hugh Laurie. Yeah. Um, but uh, who's the, ho- the host of QI? Quite interesting <laughs> yeah. that panel show. And um, and so they're not written to be historical fiction. They obviously were written. Uh, uh, P.G. Woodhouse passed away in 1970. And um, and so they are now, in some ways, they're they're contemporary fiction that is now historical because right. time has passed. Right, right. And they depict a lifestyle and time period that reads as historical fiction that was not written as historical fiction. Yes. So yeah. I found that really interesting because I never I grew I I have been reading those probably since my high school days at least. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm just a big fan of that those those humorous novels. And I was describing to someone who was like, oh, are they are they historical, you know, historical fiction. And also PG Woodhouse never changed the setting of his not he he has a decade spanning career, never uh-huh. changed the time setting. Okay. For the book. So his, right. some, he had Jeeves and Mooster, you know, very long series of a, of a kind of foolish young man and his valet, you know, and their adventure, comic mm-hmm. adventures never age. They don't age right. across decades They're, they're of in books. kind of an idealized, yes, timeless exactly. kind of place. And, and so it's timeless in many ways. It, it's hazy in its setting. But the fact that something that was written, say, in the 30s and something that was written in the 50s or the 60s has the same time and place. Yeah. In, in fact, probably yeah. most of the historical fiction, I'm making air quotes, which no mm-hmm. one except Miranda and I can see. <laughs> um, most of it that I've read. Too. Yeah, there we go. Uh, most of it that I've read is the, the case of someone writing contemporary fiction, but they wrote it 150 years ago. 
Right. Um, so, you know, when you read Dickens and he's writing about his time period, right. it's historical fiction in one sense, but right. it's very different than a current author who is writing a book set in the same That's time period. That's very true. Actually, I wouldn't think, like you say, you're reading the classics if you're going to read, say, Jane Austen, but it's now historical fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but but written with a different intent. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of, kind of an interesting sort of uh, between the two. That's another one that I don't think of that way, but it is in the literal sort of narrow definition, also historical fiction. Right, right. As well. It's really yeah, I, I think one of the, the benefits of that kind of reading is you get reinforced over and over again that um, as, as much as has changed politically and economically and technologically, there's a kind of a human core mm. that, um, you know, uh, they're, they have the same heartbreaks, the same hopes, the same everything. They're still humans. It yeah. still feels yeah, like the, humans, the, the humanity. even if it's not a life you recognize. Yeah. yeah. That is really interesting. I think you see that more in things that were contemporaneously written mm -hmm. and have become historical fiction, even more so Yeah, the, than, there's, there's always the danger yeah. that we will put things in the past that weren't there with modern writers doing historical fiction. Mm -hmm. um, but there's less of a risk of that if you read contemporary <laughs> authors that wrote things in the past. It'd be interesting to kind of do a comparison mm -hmm. uh, to see where you see differences and, and overlaps. Although I, w I would propose that when you have an author who's who's wholeheartedly and deliberately messing with history, bending bending history, maybe mixing it with oh, literary fiction, yeah. that's a delight on its own. Yeah, yeah, it's very unique and lovely. I, I, I love that you brought that up because that's a that's a whole different kind of enjoyment. Because it it presupposes that you know, uh, this is sort of like again being in on the author's joke. You know, you're looking it, at you're looking at one of these things is not like the other, and you know what it is. Yeah, yeah, you you know the fish out of water kind of thing, mm -hmm. and um, it it's you know uh, Picasso I think was reported to have said that you know, he had to go through the period in which he learned the right way to paint before he could play around with the form to the point where he did the things he's more famous for. Right. You got to know the rules before you can break them. Exactly. Um, or you or haven't broken any. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, um, what are what are some examples of the kind of deliberately anachronistic? Well, my uh, there's actually a, there's a there's a film and a book series called The Pirates. Okay. Um, which I'm, I'm blanking on the author that I will put to the show notes. Sure. Uh, but um, The Pirates is a is an animated film. It's also a um, it was done, I don't know, a handful of years ago, and it sort of is set in Victorian England, and it's an adventure with pirates and Charles Darwin and hmm. and um, uh, the Queen, Queen Victoria and some literary figures, and it's a really interesting mix of, like, an adventure, and they they change sort of, like, the character of, who, like, Queen Victoria is a villain okay. <laughs> in it, just because they want her to be, yeah. just because that's what they want that that story to be now. They right. just change the history because it's a fictional novel, right. a fictional and, novel and then film, and if you know and enough, you of, if you know enough about the real history, you can see yeah. where they're playing around with and, the and stuff is, on the edges. It is one of those things where you're like, can they do that? But yes, you can. You yeah. can if you want to. And an, another great one, which is very weird, is um, Jasper Ford uh, has a, a series. It's uh, a Ford with two Fs. It is. F-F-O-R-D-E. Okay. Yeah, that's of extra, awesome. All sorts of extra letters. Yeah. Um, just to trip you up. Jasper Ford, uh, the first one in this series, it's called the Thursday Next series. That is okay. the name of the main character, Thursday yeah. Next. 
And um, The Air Affair is a book that is, it's sci-fi, it's fantasy, it's mystery. Is it general fiction? Is it historical fiction? What is it? Who knows? And um, it's it's a fun one, though. And it, in this one, there is some fantasy elements of it simply being um, a world where certain people have, a pow- have, have the ability to, when reading literature to sort of like transmute themselves or to transfer themselves into the reality Ooh. of the literature of the book. Okay. So you're reading, you're reading a novel and suddenly you're in the novel. Okay. Um, and a specific, uh, it's on this premise that there's a mastermind criminal who exploits this idea because if you read the manuscript, it actually, anything you do to affect the novel affects everything else, all of the other copies, you can change the history oh, of the wow. novel. And he kidnaps a character. He kidnaps Jane Eyre. Um, for ransom, <laughs> wow. because, because you can you can do that in this store. So he, from the original manuscript, so uh-huh. what is what is at stake is the fate of this book that has already been written oh, centuries ago. So gu- guarding the original copies of things in this fictional right. universe he, must be really important. Exactly. So he um, he does that, and it, it plays around a lot with uh, our history of literature. Um, uh, so both both actual history. But also, you know, what we know of the story. So it's a fixed, in the same way the history is a fixed thing, mm-hmm. story of Jane Eyre is now fixed. It's been written and published. Okay. But in this, it's like, what if we can change that? And there's a really nice twist through it, through the expectations of what we think of, of the reality of it to how things turn out in the book. I don't really want to spoil it. But, yeah. But it really. Um, so it that, that sounds like that. A, a very interesting um, sort of magical realist twist on mm-hmm. another way that I backed into and, mm-hmm. and stumbled into historical fiction, which is a, a subgenre of speculative fiction called alternative history. And mm-hmm. I won't say a whole lot about alternative history because uh, Melissa and I, I believe, have <laughs> it's, it's a, a whole episode on this. Stay tuned for more. Stay, exactly. <laughs> stay tuned for more. But all, alternative history basically um, starts with the premise that somewhere in the past, a different decision was made. History forked in a different direction. Um, so the, the most common sets of these are you know, if Hitler had won World War II, you know, fatherland and, and mm-hmm. so forth. Right. Um, but there, there can be all kinds of jumping off points, all kinds of differences. And uh, that's a, another sort of fun way to explore historical fiction, even if the idea of um, bodice rippers and, um, and uh, Jane Eyre and things like that, if that leaves you cold, you're not... Historical fiction is not off limits for you because there are all kinds of ways to mm-hmm. read fiction set in the past, um, either a straight telling of it or a what if kind a of remix. hypothetical <laughs> um, or someone who lives 500 years and tells you about all the different things he's been through. Mm-hmm. Political thrillers that someone discovers something from. Or a, cra- a crazy a madcap adventure where you're going to meet literary like fictional characters yeah. and real people from history and they're from different centuries but they're all together and their characters aren't what you remember from real history just yeah. because you can so that, that's like the the dinner party kind of scenario exactly come, come to life yeah. so there, there are lots of ways to read historical fiction um, um you can write to the library and get recommendations mm-hmm. um uh, random what's that website we'll definitely have it in the in the show notes but right we do have an option from our public library here a service uh it was originally what should i read next but we've actually expanded because 
books aren't our only type of uh, mm-hmm. media. Yeah. So it's like all types of media. If you want a recommendation on a, a movie or even CDs or something like that, you have, you know, for music, you uh, what should I check out next? Basically, if you go to our website, arlingtonlibrary.org in the tab for services, there is a, there is an example and we'll put it, we'll, there'll be notes here and with our, uh, a link in the notes as well. Um, you can actually choose for a service from arlingtonlibrary.org, what should I check out next? You're mm-hmm. going to plug in maybe your favorite author, a couple examples of things you like, some genres you'd be interested in. You send that to it in a real life librarian, library staff member is going to look at that. They're going to do some research for you. Then we'll shoot you a nice little email saying we've looked at, we've looked at what you're interested in. We pick something out for you. It's been placed on hold. And when it's ready, we're going to call you and you get a nice little surprise that we think you might like. So we'd we'd love to hear um, what you think about this podcast. If there are any titles that you heard us talk about and you go on to read uh, that would do our little librarian hearts good uh, to know that we inspired you and maybe you found a new favorite author or mm-hmm. learned about a new genre or, or have an idea for a type of show you'd like to, uh, an episode theme you'd like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So if this show didn't do anything for you, let us know what would, um, <laughs> if it did do something for you, we'd love to know what we inspired you with. And um, basically thank you for tuning in to this edition of self check. Music for the podcast is Wonderful Adventures by Julian Bonarb under license from First Come Music Incorporated. Production and editing by Aisha Hawkins and special thanks to our library director, Norma Zuniga. Take care and keep reading. Music